0: Welcome to the number one show and the source of truth for all things medtech. Here, we reveal the secrets and stories behind the investments, science, and commercialization of the medtech industry. Every week, we'll take you on a wild ride with the biggest names in the game, from entrepreneurs and investors who are shaking up the market, to healthcare providers who are revolutionizing the way we think and practice medicine. So hold on tight and get ready for a journey like no other. This is the State of Medtech. Medtech. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We got another great investor as part of our Venture Capital Series. Uh, And like most of them, uh, I discovered this amazing uh, investor through one of my favorite events which is the LSI Emerging MedTech Summit. Their 2024 event has already opened up for registration. I'd je- definitely jump on it if you're a founder to get one of those presenting slots. Uh, they sell out really, really quickly. And of course, they're usually overwhelmed at this point with so many submissions. So they're not able to take everybody. So be sure to check that out if you go to their uh, website at LSI, uh, Emerging MedTech Summit. You can just Google LSI USA 2024 and it'll immediately come up. So. Who is our guest today? Our guest today is Lu Zhang, who's the founder and managing partner of Fusion Fund. She's a renowned Silicon Valley-based investor and also a serial entrepreneur, along with being a Stanford engineering alumnus. Um, She's got a really strong technical background, which is, uh, I think, very unique for a VC. And she has a pretty extensive experience bridging a broad group of technologies um, in terms of their commercialization and then deep domain expertise in uh, a really interesting sex of, inter- of industries, which is why I wanted to have her on. She focuses on AI and healthcare, enterprise AI and networks, edge computing, and data privacy. So she's not your typical med tech investor. And I think that because of that, it makes her and her fund extremely interesting. So prior to starting Fusion Fund, let me tell you a little bit about what she did. So as I mentioned, she was a serial entrepreneur and she was also a material science researcher. She was um, a first-generation immigrant, originally from Inner Mongolia. And right around the age of 21, she built a medical device company for type 2 diabetes uh, diagnosis based on her graduate school research in Stanford University. That startup was acquired by a leading public medical device company. And when that happened, she started investing in and supporting early-stage entrepreneurs. This eventually led her to create the Fusion Fund in 2015. And since then, she's built a distinguished ecosystem and established her reputation in the VC industry. She was honored as the Young Global Leader by the World Economic Forum at Davos, uh, Silicon Valley Women of Influence, Best 25 Female Early-Stage Investor by Business Insider, and featured honoree of VC of Forbes 30 Under 30 and Town & Country. Modern Swans entrepreneurship influencer. All that to say she's done a lot of great work that's received, given her a lot of great recognition by some of the biggest names in our industry and in the business world. Now, if you are a founder, I highly recommend you go check out their uh, her, her fund's website, which is fusionfund.com. The reason why I like it is that they have under their uh, community tab some really interesting resources. They have a CXO network, which is essentially um, a lot of C-suite and executive level uh, members from Global 100 companies that provide mentorship and guidance to founders. They have what's called, and I really like this, founder slash VC office hours. So literally you can click whether you're in um, insure tech or enterprise tech or FinTech and enterprise tech or medtech tech um, to book time with one of their um, fund managers or their partners uh, to schedule like a 15 minute me- meeting just to have a little bit of feedback from them, right? So I think that's really fantastic. And of course, um, they have other great events like social events and a lot of resources for founders. So definitely go check out their fund uh, at FusionFund.com. Now, before jumping into our episode, I wanna remind you, if you are a founder, you're, you're a CEO of an early stage med tech company, or even one that's a little bit later stage, maybe at a series A, B, or C, reach out to me i love working with founders if you go to my website khatibandco.com you can book time with me what i specifically like to do and what my company is focused on is how do you use social media and network effects on social media to attract investors at scale and prospective customers i think the balance between raising money and attracting early adopters is very tough and a lot of times founders do one and then the other. Usually they focus first on marketing themselves to investors and once they raise money, now they have a new problem. They have to find ways to get commercial traction, attract early adopters and so on and so forth. I have a specific playbook on how you can do both at the same time. It involves creating very engaging content, and using social media such as LinkedIn to position yourself to do that at scale. So if you're a founder of a company, I encourage you, go to com and book time with me so you can learn more about how I can help your company. Here is a testimonial from one of my very first clients, one that I'm extremely proud of for how well they've done, which is Moon Surgical. Moon Surgical is a robotics company out of France. Uh, they've raised a $30 million Series A uh, in 2021. And then soon after that, this past year, they raised a $50 million Series B with Nvidia and Sophie Nova partners leading the round. I'm very proud to say that Katib & Co. worked early on with them to help generate that momentum and put them in a, in the best position to be successful. And what better way to kind of uh, show you that than to hear from their uh, chief strategy officer, Jeff Alvarez, and their CEO, Ann Ostewitz? So here's what they had to say about the experience and the results. The results were amazing. The traffic that was driven to not just our company site, but also our personal sites, over 300% of what it typically was on a regular basis while we had the campaigns going. We know the results were being achieved, and that's why it's so great to work with Omar. The level of inbound interest we were getting was substantial, especially from investors. It has only been growing since then. So we've been leveraging Omar's work and what we learned from him continuously in the past two years. So to book time with me and see if your company qualifies to work with me, go ahead and go to katibandco.com. Book your time there or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. What I always try and do in these meetings is that sometimes not every company is a good fit you know, based on where they're at to work with me, but no matter what, in that short call, you're going to walk away with at least two or three ideas because my biggest thing is that how can I help Every founder, no matter what stage they're at, within the MedTech ecosystem. And finally, if you are going to Dreamforce this year, which is Salesforce's annual conference in San Francisco in mid-September, or you live in Silicon Valley, I want you to join me at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center on Wednesday, September 13th at 1130 a.m. because I'm going to be doing a fireside chat with Clary, who is my uh, podcast partner. Um, Clary is an amazing software company that helps medtech companies uh, leverage their CRM and use AI to essentially predict revenue and drive sales pipeline. And I'm so excited to mention I have a guest who's going to be joining us on stage. The great legendary, insightful Daniel Hawkins, founder of Shockwave Medical, founder of a a male med systems, and of course, an entrepreneur who's got such a great name and great insights when it comes to medical sales. He'll be joining us up on stage. So to do that, please go ahead and RSVP. What you can do is just check the uh, links in the show notes below and RSVP with your email. So be sure to RSVP for that event. It's a free event at the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center. We're gonna have a lot of great discussions about the future of MedTech and the way we think about sales maturity and driving pipelines. So with that being said, let's get on to our episode with Lu Zhang. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. And we got another exciting venture capital episode. You know, there's a lot of VCs out there in the healthcare world, a lot a lot in the med tech world. And so not very often do does one, you know, sort of come onto my radar. Um, but our guest today, uh, you know, has a, a history of writing great posts and updates to the market on LinkedIn. She's been at LSI and has a really fascinating fund, not only invested in the healthcare and medtech side, but also I would say on the tech side as well. And that's Lu Zhang. Lu, thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you very much for having me. And I'm uh, really glad to have this opportunity to be on the show
0: absolutely absolutely and you know i got to say like when i look at you know uh your 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 fund and if for those who are interested go to fusionfund.com the portfolio is fascinating the healthcare and life science side is really interesting because you have you know devices that go from let's say you know your traditional medical device imaging right ai backed and everything to things that are really focused on data and computing so that that by itself is interesting but you have two uh, two other areas of your of your fund and that is enterprise AI, right? And the other side is industrial technology. And so like, for example, uh, you guys have made uh, investments in Lyft. Uh, I see paper space on here on the uh, enterprise AI side. U.com was another fascinating one. So you have such an interesting fund, right? And you're, you're, you know, a lot of funds, they, they do healthcare, and I'm not going to pick on anybody. But there's funds that say, oh, yeah, we invest in med tech. And I look and they invest in two or three companies for you, you have a good portfolio of companies. And so I think it's fascinating that as an investor, you have this knowledge from these two other big areas of enterprise AI and industrial. And then you have this thesis, it seems in healthcare. But before we dive into that, I got to ask, why is it called fusion fund?
1: Yes. Uh, so it's also go back to my background. My academic background is I'm now the trained MD. I'm actually was a material scientist from Stanford, and uh, one of my research focus was on the clean energy. So everyone knows that the future for clean energy, that the big dream people want to achieve is nuclear fusion. So that's how I came from. uh Came uh, with our fusion fund's name. You really wanted to uh use this analogy. You know what we're doing is similar to nuclear fusion. You know, small atom came together, so smaller amount of capital. Be able to come into the company at the critical moment, early stage, and eventually, uh, really support coming to grow to something, drive huge industry changes and a huge impact.
0: That's fascinating. And, and I, I, I like your fund even more because, you know, for me, I'm not, I'm not an expert when it comes to, uh, uh you know, environmental sciences and everything. But my belief is like, if you, if you care about climate, like you have to believe in, in nuclear fusion. I think that's a big part of it. So that's fascinating that you came up with that name. Now, the other question I have for you is just with the fund, you, you started the fund in a very difficult time, which was 2015. And I say difficult because it was extremely competitive, you know, and uh, you know, how, how how's a young professional, were you able to raise this kind of a fund? Like if you kind of go back to 2015 to the LPs that really believed in you and believed in the fund, what made them say, yeah, I'm going to cut Fusion Fund a check? What, what do you think that was?
1: Yeah, I think it really goes two ways. First is whether we have a comprehensive investment methodology. You're so right. In 2015, it was very competitive market in the VC industry. And also, lots of people decided to launch a new fund. So it's been more competitive in we call it emerging manager market. But I found at that time, you know, very few VC really focused on healthcare and deep tech investment. So we were able to build up such a strong investment methodology, focus on healthcare and deep tech. So build up our strong differentiation. Another thing is with my own track record and background, and also the team I built it up, we're able to really build up the credibility that we'll be the, one of the best team, one of the best funds to invest and to grab the opportunity within the healthcare and deep tech. And the third, also you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, there are lots of healthcare found only to healthcare, or enterprise found only to enterprise. But now everyone realized that the lots of opportunity for innovation is interdisciplinary. Yes, we're doing lots of healthcare investment, but AI in healthcare is a huge, huge market opportunity. And lots of in- industry revolutionary application could come out from it. We invest in enterprise AI enterprise network with edge computing, which industry could be the best industry to showcase the capability of AI at edge computing could be healthcare. So there's lots of uh, stimulation from both sides really could help us build a more, I would say, sophisticated ecosystem when we put together our portfolio company. So going back at that time, you know my background, I was an initial material scientist from Stanford and I built my own medical device company with my own sensing technology, patent technology, which eventually sold it to Boston Scientific. So this journey as a technologist and entrepreneur operator also gave me lots of the knowledge and understanding of the technology trend and innovation and how to do innovation, how to support company to grow within healthcare and the deep tech. And meanwhile, based on that methodology, the team member I recruited, you can look at the profile of my partners and the junior team member, our technologists, the former entrepreneur with different industry background, then give us the strong confidence to based on the methodology to deploy our capital. I think all of this came together, become our strong differentiation. So not only were attractive to LP, uh, actually my fund once started relatively faster. The fund raising period was really short. I also put in my per- own personal money, like I like, got good financial return from my own entrepreneur journey, which also helped to start deployment much faster. But meanwhile, we were super attractive to founder, especially te- technical founder and serial entrepreneur. So we're very lucky to be the early stage investor for lots of breakout company in fund one.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, this is the one thing I talk to with like first time founders is that, you know, um, for me, all I know is startups. That's been my entire career, but you know, um, money is a commodity, right? Like yep. you, you can get money from anybody. And the big thing is like who you're taking money from. And so a lot of times, like I tell founders, like, it's like look, you know, if you're going to take money or you're going to raise money, um, you got to really take into consideration the investors you're doing that from, like, are they going to be supportive of you to help you get commercial traction, make those strategic introductions, you know, coach you as an entrepreneur? If not, then they're just they're just writing you a check and they're going to be a pain in your neck. And I just don't, I me personally, I see for some reason you see this more often in our industry in the med tech industry than others. I think when you go into deep tech or industrial, I'll speak for the tech side. Usually, the 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 investors have some some, uh, uh, X factor, right? Either they were the former operator, they had, they can make introductions or they've just done a fantastic job coaching entrepreneurs in our industry. Sometimes you, you don't see that. And a lot of times I think founders are looking just to raise money with the thought of how am I going to get the most out of this relationship? And so I like that you guys have this, you know, forgive me with the sports analogy. You have a deep bench of talent and experience, and that's very broad. Cause I think like as a founder, Getting some feedback from somebody on your team, who's also managing some you know, teams on the industrial AI side or the enterprise AI side, is going to be really interesting. You know, do you, do you feel like a lot of times you, your team pulls lessons and ideas from those other industries and helps medtech founders?
1: Oh yeah, of course. Especially you know, uh, in 2017, that's when we kind of very proactively promote AI in healthcare. But you know, initially when AI came out to discuss different application, was really not within healthcare industry. Not. Uh, I will redo this part. I'm sorry. Yes. No, don't worry about it.
0: Hey, we're not going to even cut that cut that out. Look, this is the best part of this show is that we keep keep this as natural as possible. So people feel like they're literally hanging out with the two of us. So don't even sweat it. Look, you're Uh, an investor. So I would expect you to get a couple of phone calls during this interview.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, thank you very much. So I will go back to what I mentioned. Uh, For example, at that time, we have tons of knowledge about AI for enterprise AI application already. And then we also were thinking about, okay. The, to, in order to train AI model, we require a huge amount of also high-quality data. Not only the quantity matters, the quality matters too. So which industry have a huge amount of high-quality data? Healthcare, of course. And then look at healthcare industry. What are the problems within healthcare industry? First, uh, how to achieve personalization for diagnostics, therapeutics, for all different types of disease. Another thing is a A problem with the healthcare system. I call it accessibility affordable accuracy triple problem how to potentially provide a solution ai could be a super powerful tool so this knowledge really enable us be able to identify this trend before others start to allocate lots of capital resources into it so in 2017 we published a research report on ai healthcare really talk about all different application opportunity from diagnostic to therapeutics to digital di- digital life science digital biology to kind of just the in general workflow efficiency improvement using AI. Then since then we'll build such a powerful, you know, powerful portfolio uh, within the AI healthcare sector. So I think I really agree with you. Uh, when we talk about diversity is great critical to innovation. As early stage investor, it's also important to make sure we have diverse information channel to learn innovation from all different aspects and then consolidate into the vertical we're focusing on and also pass along the knowledge to the founder we're working with. You mentioned something I really want to echo is early stage capital is never only about the money. Always mm. has to come along with and certain type of strategic value. Another thing is it's not only investor joining the company. Sometimes some first-time founder even didn't think about you may have an investor also joining your board. Once it's joining the board, it's as serious as a marriage. So do you want to make sure you find the right person for this long-term relationship and also getting the best of suggestions correct suggestion and also the most uh, valuable resources at early stage because early stage is a really hard time and also really risky period to getting ready for commercialization
0: yeah i'm happy you mentioned that and you know and especially in terms of like early stage like it's not just about the money you know for you um and, and i want to dive into like some of the specifics around uh your investment thesis and what you guys focus on with your portfolio companies but you know we have a lot of founders who listen to this show and I think all of them always thinking about like, w- what do I have to show? Especially if you're early, if you're early stage, let's face it, like your product is ugly. You don't have a lot of customers and you are not profitable. That's just most yeah. startup, right? Um, exactly. because yeah, cause if you, if you have, if you're, if you're profitable and you, and you got traction, like you don't have a problem raising money, right? What do you specifically look for? Um, you know, at least criteria wise when it comes to, uh, a a great investment
1: yeah yeah i think uh, how we evaluate the company even including the long list of our due diligence is also a good reflection for founder to consider what they should looking for when they're thinking about doing a startup the first thing definitely is the market are you targeting a big enough market and the second thing is in the right market timing so market size is critical everyone knows about it there's so many different ways to calculate it so Founder need to think about if you're targeting a smaller market size for most of VC that doesn't really work out in terms of metrics of the return and the market timing is more 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 yeah go ahead
0: what what would be like uh g- g- I wanna I wanna sort of uh, dive into that deeper like give me an example of like a market that might be too small because I think one one of the other one of the other I don't want to call it an issue but like when you're des- when you're creating a brand new category a lot of times like for example if you look at John Simpson uh, Dr John Simpson what was it three decades ago when he started going after peripheral vascular, that wasn't really an interventional cardiology space, right? But then he built that up and it became a multi-billion dollar like space, right? There has to be yeah. a balance between like a small market size and possibly creating a new category. How do, you, how do you differentiate between those two things?
1: Yeah, that's also come to how we evaluate the market size. Market size, including your existing market size and also potential future market size. And potential future market size also come back to based on the evolution of the technology. If technology be able to lower the cost, open up the market opportunity, the market size could be much bigger. So for us, we definitely look at both. Certain market size might be limited now, but as you said, may open up a bigger market or drive bigger changes, the market size will be even bigger. But for other applications, maybe just a a replacement of the existing small tool this two market size is only like $300 million. Then you need to think about, you're taking money from venture firm. And venture firm, for example, our latest fund is $120 million. So we're looking for a company could really return the fund. Whether the company potential exit size, which is limited by the market size, will make a difference for fund return. So I think that's something very practical that founders should think about. That doesn't mean you have to always work on something with a huge billion dollar market size. If you're working on something with smaller market size, maybe institutional VC are not the best uh, funding source for you. There's other potential funding: angel investor, family offices, individual. They're looking for smaller multiple, and they're okay. But institutional VC have a certain way of uh, uh, calculating the return and also doing the internal planning. So that's kind of the first thing of the market size. I also mentioned another thing is even more important: is market timing, because technology. When we talk about all these fancy terms, none of them are brand new. They've been exist for many years. Why now it's a good timing to apply that technology to focus on market? On one side is technology is better, faster, cheaper. Another thing is market timing is here. means the key player within this market, they're ready to deploy capital to purchase this type of solution, to integrate this new technology. So in order to understand the market timing, have very strong understanding of the industry domain knowledge and the connection, it's very important. We know some of the founders, especially first-time founder and young founders, not necessarily have that connection. So we actually built up a similar network called the CXO Network since 2018. I launched in 2018, now we have 44 CTO from Global 1000 Company, work closely with us. And I have recruited a new partner, Shane, joining us after he left HP. He was a CTO at HP and he's leading this network and with lots of members are within healthcare, life science, pharma industry. So by talking with them, they consistently looking for a new solution to solve their problem. And they also have the budget. They also know within the corporation or within the industry, whether the timing is right. We're ready to spend 300K or 3 million or 30 million to solve this problem. So that's very valuable information for us to know. That's also something we use to evaluate whether this is the right founder, right technology, and the right market timing for them to launch a business and for us to put in uh, the capital. And after market, the second definitely is the technology. I already kind of quickly summarized it, you know, especially from, I have a technical background. Uh, I also know lots of technical founders with a strong research background. And sometimes the, the gap is, People who have years of research background always looking for the best technology and try to bring the best technology to commercialization. But what industry really needs, even within healthcare, sometimes it's not necessarily the best. They need better, faster, cheaper, especially cheaper. We need cheaper technology in order to have large-scale commercialization. So that's another thing we're looking for when we evaluate the technology. But they have to be better, faster, and also cheaper. Then there's the team, then it's the execution, exit potential, competitive landscape. So all of this are the evaluation of the risk level in different aspects. And then eventually we know, okay, this company really are targeting the right problem, focused on big enough market, at the right market timing, and with a very differentiated technology solution and the team have unfair advantages. That's when we know, okay, they might be a big thing.
0: I love that. I love that, and I, you know, I gotta go back because again, I think uh, m- most most VC. Well, actually, let me. I'm gonna correct. Me. Most VCs don't usually do this, but again, you're 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 quite down earth and humble about this. So I'm going to brag a little bit about your fund on something. I think this is like a very big value prop for your fund, which is the CXO uh, group. What, what was it called again?
1: CXO Network because we CXO have majority Network. of TV. Yeah, and we also have some CIO and CDO.
0: So essentially, you have like forty to fifty uh, C-suite leaders from Fortune one thousand companies. So this, to me, by itself, gives a huge reason as to why should I go and you know raise money from Fusion, because you're already getting. Because look, most start every single startup has two choices: either you're going to uh, stay private and get acquired, or go public and hopefully get acquired. Right, that's the majority of fate of all startups. It makes it a lot easier if you don't guess as to what a company and you know a Fortune 1000 company is looking for, and you get mentored by people who work there. Because at the same time, that's kind of an indirect way of let's say a CIO or CTO evaluating a startup, and they connect with uh, former leadership or le- people that they know in their former company and say, you know, you should actually check out this company that see to yep. me that that's what a, a a venture fund should really do which is being almost like um you know it's almost like an a, a higher level version of an incubator in the sense that like you're not just going there to raise money you're going there for mentorship you're going there for connections you're going there for the fastest way to shortcut your time to value and hit that inflection point versus too many times and I see this and again i if I, if you disagree, please, please, please let me know. We I have plenty of debates on the show. I feel like too often than not here in our industry, in medtech, it's too much about the founders just taking money and then them kind of going on their own to figure out all these different things by themselves. And the value is really leading leaning on mentorship and getting shortcut to those answers versus trying to guess. Would you agree with that?
1: I think so, especially with in-house career. I don't know. First, the healthcare industry is a huge market, close to twenty percent of u s GDP, but also it's a, probably one of the most complicated ecosystems. There are so many key opinion leader, key player, key decision maker, and sometimes founder probably focus on great technology products solve our problem, but they didn't know something they missed. They just don't know the game plan. They don't know how to play this uh, game within the ecosystem. They were not able to have a successful exit. So that's definitely one of the motivation for us to build up this ecosystem. You know, essentially, we're like a community builder uh, because I was an entrepreneur myself. So that's other team member I recruited. We really know what is more critical to founder, including things you mentioned early on, right? Early stage founder, the typical they just had a... Just a ready product still need lots of market validation. They're terrific in terms of uh, research on the technology, launch the product. But for market validation, talk to the key decision maker, how to open the doors, how to build up the channels. They probably take months and years to build up that platform. While we could have it ready, benefit all this like founder within our portfolio and also make it easy for them to quickly get market validation. Even sometimes we talk to founder, you know, for early stage founder, they could either choose raise a lot of money at early stage round uh, probably valuation got too crazy high and also lots lots of ownership like lots of dilution but if we offer founder said you could just uh, raise a reasonable size round good enough capital and then we help you also got market validation means early revenue then use early revenue capital to support the growth of the company then it's more healthy and also sustainable especially in this market you know, this is the economic downturn, we're going through cycles. This is really going back to the fundamental of the of the business. So besides the CXO network, as I mentioned, we're really community builder. We also have another two community, one called the uh, serial um, entrepreneur community. Sometimes it's the directly deal flow came out from there. Sometimes they also interested in helping funders and look at interesting companies. The other is an uh, expert network. Expert network also have lots of serial entrepreneurs, but they're ready to retire. They're thinking about being an advisor on independent board for a relative young founder a new company, and they want to help. It's not only for financial return. They want to help. They want to return. They want to contribute their years of experience and resources, and also really mentor the team to grow. So that's another network we build up, really beneficial to founder, especially if the first time founder.
0: That's fantastic. No, that 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 really is, and I think you know what's interesting is. I'd say like uh, if you look at f- uh, 5 years ago 5 years ago is when I feel like tech really decided you know cuz when you're Amazon or Google you have to grow and Google's not going to say oh let's let's go make furniture how about the thing that 20% of our GDP is spent on right so healthcare and so Amazon Google they all kind of pushed into healthcare and they all failed like like big royal fail and now they're making the second attempt I think Amazon acquiring One Medical was a very positive sign the reason yeah. why I bring this up is that a lot of med tech VCs are being expected by their LPs to bring those same multiples we see in tech and SaaS. But I think mm. a lot of times they don't know how to do that. I think Fusion Funds really uniquely positioned in the sense that you guys already do enterprise uh, uh, deals and deep tech. And so being able to, you know, I think there's innovation on the product side, but there's also business model innovation, right? Yeah. And you mentioned, we, we, we talked about this earlier on the call, and I, I kind of want to pivot into this, um, which is too many companies, and there's nothing wrong with this, but too many companies, they want to, quote unquote, disrupt, but they're just playing within the given market and just trying to become an add-on or just better, you know, a little bit better than the, than the leader, right? Which is not enough to develop a unicorn company. To really develop that unicorn company, you have to do something that's like pretty radically different to to essentially poach away every you know uh, adopters from the like standard right when you look at when you look at investments and maybe you can sort of talk about some of your portfolio companies how do you pick those kind of companies that are not just looking to come up with a bolt on solution or like you know become the the better choice but li- really a radical different paradigm shift of technology
1: yeah I feel like uh, probably this is a new definition of uh, disruption. It's more about evolution. I like to use evolution to kind of describe uh, what you are seeing right now to integrate new technology into the healthcare industry in general. Because as you said, yes, it's not just a simple uh, simple kind of slightly better 20% efficiency improvement. Technology came in as, a, as, a, as an angle that brings new approach to solve a problem but this new approach is also based on the years of uh, uh, experience and the data and the knowledge of the existing healthcare industry So I'll give you a couple of examples everyone knows generative AI is really hot right now and uh, people talk about using chat GPT consumer application but meanwhile, when we mentioned about value of the large language model, healthcare naturally is the best industry be able to apply that model because they have huge amount of high quality data. And even some sector that people may don't think about related to technology, for example, pharma, life science, they have a huge amount of data. So I think now with the new trend, we're able to have this super powerful tool to realize the potential of the value of the data within healthcare industry. For example, one of my company called Huma.ai, hum AI. they're essentially the first and the best generative AI platform for pharma and life science. And you could consider it as a kind of professional level ChatGPT for pharma company. And uh, their model is a specific trained for this industry with industry domain data uh, library and also giving lots of professional feedback. So the outcome, the product itself, is very simple, but also really impressive. For example, they have lots of customer large pharma company. Their research scientists could directly ask, typing, okay. How to design a clinical trial of this new medication. Huma could give an answer right away, super professional answer, and this professional, highly accurate answer is based on their own database and also their customer database. Years of years of experience and also accumulation of all different types of data. And you could also ask the questions: what is the side effect of the medication A versus medication B? You get an answer right away. Are they replacing something? I don't think so. I don't think they're 100% replacement. They're actually enabled the existing employee and the player and the team in this pharma industry to be smarter, more efficient, higher productivity. And meanwhile, it is a new approach to the industry. Of course, when they're doing the demo to all the pharma customers, they said they always hear, oh my God, oh my God, because it's like magical and it really makes things happen in a very different way. So this is kind of the innovation we're seeing right now. Is there an application within pharma? But also require the founder to have very comprehensive understanding about the industry in order to train the model. We have a, another kind of a similar approach company called the Sado Medical. They use the generative AI for medical image enhancement. So, any CT, MRI, the, the low resolution scan, their software directly upgrade to high resolution. They got FDA approval very quickly. They got the three or four FDA approval already. And now you could only need to take a low resolution with any medical image machine and then software upgrade to high resolution, better, faster, cheaper. Exactly the thing I just mentioned, and also safer. And for hospital, they could increase their capacity and also don't need to buy new machines. So you can see all this new technology came in. They're enabled, they're also creative, and also a little bit disruption as well. This is the type of innovation we're super exciting about. And uh, when I describe it, I think naturally, I don't even need to explain to you how big the market size. It's huge market size.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I'm glad you mentioned that because I think there was a time in medical in, in med tech or you know, the med device world where you can come up with some technology that has like some incremental improvement and you just get enough early adopters and then one of the big companies are gonna just say, We'll buy we'll buy you out, right? And those those that world we don't live in it anymore because the hospital that we're selling to, right? It's not a standalone hospital. I mean, if I tell people all the time on the show, Hey, you let me know how many like independent standalone hospitals. You see everybody there's consolidation from HCA tenant at so on and so forth. They're not going to adopt something unless it does what you say, which is better, faster, cheaper. Right. And so now I think med tech companies, and I think it's a really exciting time to be in med tech is because everybody's being challenged to come up with, with technology that really has transformative outcomes at a lower cost. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. it can't just be a li- it can't be incrementally better. You know, and so I think it's a really exciting time for this. And you know, the other thing you you mentioned about is like AI replacement. I, I I believe the same thing. Like I have this kind of radical bet, which is I don't think AI is going to like. I don't think anyone will become unemployed in the next five years directly because of AI. And I think this uh, the the example I give people is like back in I don't know the '60s or '70s when whenever uh, computers were were actually introduced to libraries librarians they all panicked and they said oh this is going to replace us it actually created more jobs for librarians because somebody needed to manage all this stuff you know so i think it's an exciting time to be in healthcare and more more specifically there's a lot of stuff that is repetitive like again my audience may not like this but the biggest cost in healthcare right now is doctors i think doctors are still underpaid but it is one of the bigger costs and so i think for like large language models um one example uh, uh, is uh, Martin Shkreli uh, started a company called Dr. Gupta, where it's a LLM for uh, primary care. So like, if a patient, instead of going to see a doctor, which involves wait time, it's very expensive, etc., they can have a discussion with this LLM to get diagnosed, upload their labs, and figure out, like, does, do I really need to go to the doctor or is it something else? I think the more creative we get about servicing a patient before they have to go to the hospital again we're able to hit that f- better faster cheaper would you would you agree with that
1: i think you know you really tackle on a couple of really key things is we're, why we adopt new technology we're aiming for improve, improvement of the efficiency and the productivity are we already at a stage for industry have such a high efficiency that if we further improve someone will lose their job no Healthcare have such a low efficiency and low productivity that there's so much room to be improved. And also you talk about the doctor. Yes, there are lots of articles talk about, oh, AI replace nurse, replace doctor. Reality is we're in huge short, uh, shortage of the doctor. Yeah, we're in a huge
0: shortage. Is and it, we want a doctor. Talk about
1: exactly. You know, last year I investing in a company. They're using AI to automate medical coding. The founder, he was a ER physician from a top hospital. Why he quit his you know, well respect, like ER physician job to do this because he was frustrated as a top ER physician. He has to spend a whole day after seeing the patient to do medical coding manually himself. Is that and the best miserable. use of his time? No. And so he decided to launch this company in just one year. You know, they have a huge pipeline, revenue grows so fast because they're free up the doctor to focus on critical matters. We have another company called Prosia they're using doing ai pathology this is the type of company have lots of like discussion oh does it mean doctor lose their job ai gonna read all the medical image for doing the diagnostic they're enable doctor to be more efficient and they just label all the basics in the critical one final decided by the doctor doctor loves it they don't need to do the repeating work so i think that's really the moment people realize the value of ai or even other technology like edge computing data privacy security everything Technology essentially is a tool. Like you mentioned, right? Like when we have a new tool, when we have computer, when we have camera, tool just enable you to do more things. Things that maybe make worse uh really worse the time. Another thing is really realize the potential of your other capability. I think the replacement gonna happen is very straightforward. The doctor and nurse who don't know how to use a new tool will be replaced by the doctor and nurse who know how to use a new tool, like AI. So all the players in the healthcare industry, all the employee hospital should embrace the new technology because the replacement has happened between hospital, hospital, and the individual, individual. Now the tool replace human. Exactly. As you said, to need to be used by human.
0: Yeah. And you know, I'm, if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about edge computing one, because my, a yeah. lot of my audience is not familiar with it. So for those who are, who want like a, like a direct de- definition, and I'm going to read this directly from uh, from Accenture's website. So, edge computing is a computing paradigm which refers to a range of network and devices that are near the near the user that are going to interpret data, right? And I think edge computing would be is a fascinating one. If you look at, let's just take, let's say an HCA system or Kaiser network, like in a specific region, and let's just use either pathology or radiology, either one that has to do with imaging. That patient population has a very specific subset of pathology that's on images if you think about what a radiologist or pathologist does pre-computerization they're just training their brain and their eyes to look at thousands and thousands of images so that they recognize you know a pathology right and so when you have edge computing like you can you can standardize this for a region and catch certain pathologies that are unique to that area Right? Is that one of the you know areas that you guys are most excited about when it comes to edge computing in medicine? Is the applications in pathology and, and radiology, or is there another area that you're that you got your eyes set on?
1: I think edge computing ha- also have a big uh, application uh, opportunity within healthcare across all different application use cases. It also kind of an important part of applying AI because the true trend here, if you ask me, use the term to summarize it, is not AI, it's the digital transformation how we really push for the digital transformation of the whole healthcare system. And this process requires three steps. First is the data collection. Second is data transfer and data protection. The last one is data processing. Data processing, I already know how to process the data, provide personalized results using AI. But before that, you need to first collect the data. That's the reason why, even till now, all the discussion about digital, I still highlight that, okay, sensor matters, medical devices matters, because that's the entry point of the data. We need to have a good control of the entrance of the uh, data in order to really get a hold of it. Another thing is better sensing technology, better medical device will help us collect a much higher quality of the data, which will be foundation nutrition for the later stage of the digital transformation. After collecting it, the, the second step is trans. That's when edge computing came into discussion. So, uh, yeah, I, I assume probably lots of people don't know edge computing, but it's really been there for many years. Edge computing means you move the computing from the, cloud to the edge means you don't necessarily need to transfer everything to the cloud to be processed which when you transfer tons of data to the cloud take lots of energy lots of data latency you don't want to wait for five minutes for processing to send back right and also in healthcare another issue is no matter the ct scan mr scale just other medical data it's huge it takes much longer time to to transfer and there's also concerning about the data uh, about the power consumption when you're doing transferring the data, but if we could process the data locally, make the local device become smart device, it's instant feedback. So you reduce the data latency. Another thing is you also reduce the power consumption, and more importantly, what is one of the biggest concern for healthcare data, privacy. So if you transfer it to the cloud, there's some privacy concern. But if it's local with you, with your local device, more secure. So there's so many goals could be achieved together by leveraging edge computing that's the reason edge computing becomes so popular within healthcare and also outside of healthcare for different uh, industry so of course all this like uh pathology ideology, all this different application use case edge computing should be embedded and also there's different type of edge computing technology you could use it could be edge computing chip We have one of the best edge computing chip company in the portfolio edgeq Just a smart chip you put in, there's device become a smart device. Could be serverless edge solution, could be cloud edge solution. Different type of edge computing solution bundled together with the AI to push for digital transformation.
0: Interesting. Let me me ask you something. You know, uh, so, uh, you know, we're all very familiar with Striker. It's a big company. We all know it. I was speaking with uh, Jim Heath, who's their uh, striker, their former president over at Striker. He's there for, you know, I think, over 20 or 30 years. And you know, we were talking about Striker's, uh, like the years that they went through a tough time, which is post economic crash of 08, right? And around 2011, 2012, I think that's when they acquired Mako. And so back then, their, their uh, market cap was like $17, 18000000000 billion. Today, it's $112 billion. That's a success story. So when I spoke to him, I said, you know, must have been the Mako acquisition that really helped. And he said, no, that wasn't it. So here's the shocking thing. You know what You know what uh, made Striker, what saved Striker and, and helped catapult them? It was a waste management product.
1: Ah. <laughs>
0: like nothing, nothing sexy. It was a waste management product. So Lou, what I want to ask you is that if you look at the market today, there's a lot of like shiny and exciting investments. What do you think is kind of like a waste management product that a lot of investors may not be thinking about, and the market's not paying attention to, but there is just absolutely huge potential in it. Is there is there such yeah. a sector that kind of comes to mind?
1: Oh yeah, there's uh, so much within healthcare. It just because we waste so much money and resources in the healthcare industry could be better. Like the first thing, as I mentioned about the medical coding automation, and people that's didn't a big realize. Market. Yes, medical coding and <laughs> together with medical billing, it's important. Yeah. But on the that, other side. Pretty-
0: the last company yeah. I came from was was medical billing, and I think what people don't realize is that if you talk, if I go and survey a hundred doctors right now about do do you do you love or hate treating patients, all doctors love dealing with patients, but yeah. the, but then you ask why why is physician suicide rate up? Why do fifth, almost fifty percent of doctors say that they would not go through medicine again? It's not because of the treating patients; it's because of all the administrative stuff. Because I think half See? their time is spent is. Medical billing and coding, you know, it's not sexy, yes. but it's a big area.
1: It is a big area. And also, it's just so significant. That's the reason, you know, that's our sector we're investing. And the other thing is, for example, now is really the good time that we're trying to realize the potential and the value of the medical data, the data, how to use the data. But how about the data hygiene? Another thing is across the healthcare industry, yes, the total amount of data is huge, but we have the data isolation issue. The hospital in California are now sharing their data with uh, Texas. The hospital in the texas different like a uh, insurance company now sharing their data with each other because they're concerned about data liability and privacy and now their technology be able to enable them to use the combined data together to train the model but without physical move and transfer the data this technology called federal learning there are so many things as i said it's not really focused on oh we are gonna have a new solution for cancer dementia as but uh, be able to over or include the efficiency uh within the healthcare system. Still go back to the AAA problem. I said in this industry, accessibility, affordable, and accuracy. And this is all the thing we can do with all this new AI technology. That's the reason why I'm so excited. Not only me, when I was catching up with the CEO of some top AI company, they also said, oh, if we look at a vertical application of AI, healthcare life science is not one of, it's the biggest industry opportunity.
0: Interesting. You know, when we look at the healthcare space, like the one area that we don't kind of take enough, we we always, as in the startup world, we always think about uh, like the strategics, right? But I think one area that a lot of, you know, people don't take into account are the payers. You know, and so if you look at, yeah. for example, this past uh, uh, Q2, and I'm just uh, uh, checking here on my iPad, you know, so like United Healthcare Group, it's a behemoth, right? Their, their revenue yeah. is up 16%. They did $92 billion, $92.2 billion, and their earnings are up 13%, $8.1 billion. How important is it, you know, at what point do you think that fo- startup founders in healthcare need to start kind of thinking about what is important to a payer? Or do you think it's a case-by-case uh, uh, scenario?
1: I think understanding the importance of a payer is kind of critical for anyone wanting to launch a business in the healthcare industry because they're so important and also they're so influential. I'll give you a recent example. I still remember early this year, uh, I was speaking on the panel at a JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. The topic was about digital therapeutics. Everyone wants digital therapeutics to work out, uh, digital medicine. That's kind of the upcoming trend, is also huge. And there was some momentum we saw last year was FDA, the regulator. People always complain about regulation within healthcare industry about FDA was accelerating, or accelerating the approval process for digital therapeutics. So lots of new digital therapeutics company got FDA approval, ready for commercialization. Then the next step they have is payers are now reimbursed the solution. Without reimbursement, much harder for them to large-scale you know, deployment. So we were talking about the challenge at that time where we were kind of calling attention from the payers to really consider how to work with digital therapeutics company. The good news is lots of them started to work with digital therapeutics company, started reimbursement early mid this year, and they really changed the landscape of the digital therapeutics. So you can see that this is a very important position they have in the industry and really critical for any company want to build a sizable business, not just a small one. Another thing is they also have lots of data. Today we've been repeating the importance of the data so many times and who owns the data is important. And he, they have all the data and, but they don't have the internal technology capability. They don't want it to build up this bandwidth to directly leverage the data, but how to access to the data to be able to apply innovation technology is a big market opportunity. So not only they're important player in the ecosystem for founder to know, Funder could also consider to build up innovation solution for them, work with them, leverage their database, and might be a huge, huge potential market uh, opportunity.
0: You know, you mentioned you mentioned the digital, like uh, some of the digital health or digital therapeutic companies. Um, You know, Pear was worth what uh, four or five, six billion. It was in the billions a year ago. Went bankrupt. Babylon Health, uh, they were they're public they just got taken private and so the digital health companies like it's it feels like it's a continuing like story of like a lot of potential and then just like a lot of failure at, do you yeah. feel like digital health at some point is going to cross that line and finally start getting some traction i mean why why does this keep happening do you think it's just because we don't know how to how to value these companies or
1: i i do think i don't want to specifically refer to any uh companies, but I just feel like the trend is also shifting. The first generation of all these digital healthcare companies most of them are consumer-facing mm. so they're more like a well-being not necessary clinical level application. So at the time, if you ask a physician about all this digital healthcare company, physician just are very clear, I won't trust the data from there. I won't trust the result from that, the, the tool or that the product. I, it's not clinical recognized. That's the challenge. And when you talk about the consumer application within kind of healthcare well-being, you're also competing with like Apple Watch and other wearables. So there's so many complications within that direction. For us, we never touch consumer digital health. We're more focusing on the kind of a specific clinical level digital cellophaneal digital diagnostic company, which means their solution goes through FDA approval, already being recognized by the regulator, validated by the market, and the potential could directly integrate to the uh, healthcare system being recognized by the physician and the nurse. That's kind of the turning point. I still go back to, you know, sometimes I heard different AI or startup funder talk about we're going to bypass nurse, bypass doctor. No, they're so important. You have to engage them and got their recognition. But once they recognize it, they will promote it heavily. Think about all these doctors. The training they got, is already enabled them to have a creative and innovative uh, mindset. So they're not against the innovation, it just has to something meet their professional standard and then they could integrate. So that's kind of our approach investing kind of digital therapeutics, company, digital uh, life science and digital diagnostic company. We have a digital diagnostic company focused on cancer diagnostic. Meanwhile, they also have the medical device piece, so it's technology, single cell sequencing. And they got recognized by the industry and also physician and hospital system. And they're doing great and growing dramatically well in the past couple of years. We have companies doing digital therapeutics, though, like a smart pill for the GI problem. And the data they collected is the in clinical level after approval and could directly be considered into the diagnostic process and the therapeutic treatment with the doctor. Being doing very well. It's still relative early stage, but the traction has been amazing. So I think we're still. I think. It's good that the investor and fund keep trying with different business model, different approach to apply the digital, uh, digital solution to healthcare, but uh, there will be something didn't work out, but there are also something coming up after trying so many different direction, people finally realize it's the right way to do it. I just feel in the past couple of years, um, lots of the new investors into healthcare, some of them may have healthcare background, some may not. They may only have purely software background or consumer background. So they came in with a mindset that how we really bypass FDA, how we really bypass all this key player in the healthcare system to disrupt them, to find a new way. No, it didn't work because healthcare system is 100% different from consumer market. And only if you integrate, embrace with FDA and with all this professional standard, then you could do the evolution internally inside the system. So that's our approach. And so far, we see lots of great success with our portfolio companies. Give them a couple of years, you will see them become very active player on the market, on the public market.
0: Perfect, and I'm, yeah, I'm super excited about that as well. And I think you know, there's uh, there's an article. I should probably rewrite it. I wrote an article many years ago um, from a uh, based on a book called The Third Wave. Steve Case from AOL wrote about it. But mm-hmm. essentially, that we've entered this third wave of technology where to really have these big transformative impacts that we're looking for you it can't be done alone there's going to be a lot of partnering going on and i think like if you look at the first attempt of healthcare with apple and google and amazon and everything it was more of hey we're coming from tech and we're going to come change and save healthcare and that failed and now their second attempt is kind of more in partnership with you know legacy healthcare companies and founders so i'm really excited about this new wave i mean even if you look at um, like the consumer consumer side. There's a big movement going on with biohacking, longevity. If you look at Andrew Huberman's podcast, Peter Atia. So there's this fusion between the consumer side and then the actual, you know, like there's consumer health, but then there's med, med tech health, right? And there's kind of this fusion going on. And so I'm so excited in this new wave. Um, Lou, I know we're coming up against time. You got a few more minutes for us before we let you go?
1: Yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Fantastic. So look, thank you so much for spending some time with us. And now I kind of want to, you know, wrap up the podcast with a little bit more fun, more, more light uh, questions for you. But first, one, one big one. If Fusion Fund, um, of, of all the portfolios, companies, and I guess the theses that you have, what's the biggest bet that you guys are taking? What would it, what would it be on?
1: You mean the biggest bet on the technology trend?
0: On, t- on a technology trend, yes. What would that be?
1: I would put it in a more generic way. I truly believe company who has a purpose to change the world and also create a fortune, but the most important thing to change the world are the type of company and founder we're looking for. That's kind of explain the sector focus we have. So founder really have this big vision. You know, it's not only just the four financial returns, financial return very important, but also essentially want to change the world. Simple, straightforward, but it's also very important.
0: I'll accept, yeah, look, I'll accept that answer. And I, and I, pre- and it says a lot about your fund, which is like, you know, there's plenty of companies where you can have really great exits because they're coming up with something that the market is going to pull and adopt. You guys are looking for a lot of moonshots, like true moonshots. Cause when I look at your, por- and that, again, that's why I want to have you on my show. I looked at your portfolio. Uh, and again, for those who are interested, just go to fusionfund.com and click portfolio and look at it. When I was looking at this portfolio. I'm like, this is a really interesting mix. Like I, you know, and 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 from what I can tell just at a quick glance, I was like, these people are putting bets on really big things and they're looking for moonshots. And I think a lot of investors yeah. say they do that, but when you look at their portfolio and their fun thesis, it doesn't line up with what they say on stage, you know? So all right, ready for some fun questions? This is more more fun and relaxed. So yeah, as yeah. as an investor, I mean you're busy, but part of being, I think, in my opinion, a great investor is that you have this very broad range of knowledge, education, interests. So when you're not uh, working with your companies and investing, you know what what do you do for self-development?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, so for self-development, definitely, you know, reading is a really good thing. Going to meet all different types of people, leverage the, the community with build, be able to learn from the best people definitely is the best, uh, most efficient way to do self-development. Another thing I really like, is, you know, I think, we are very lucky to be in this ecosystem and doing this job we see with explosion of the information every single day, so we have no lack of access to information. But meanwhile, how to find the time to consolidate everything, to do some deep thinking, deep analysis, to form everything to our own methodology, to optimize it, for further improve it is important. So I like to use, um uh, I play music. When I play music, it's a way for me to do medica- meditation. And this medication more says is also a good way for me to do deep thinking. So I think that's another really important part I do.
0: Interesting. For, you know, uh, I couldn't agree more, by the way. I think. Uh, I was reflecting on this recently, and I actually scheduled time on my calendar every week for deep thinking, like literally not, not playing around the computer, like literally just thinking. I think it's very important. Yeah. Um, How how often do you do that, you know, where you play music oh, and absolutely. use it just for deep thinking?
1: Yeah, I definitely try to do it weekly. Uh, that's also something I want to enforce myself to do it more often. I feel this is a problem for the fast pacing Silicon Valley of the tech industry is uh, we don't have time for ourselves to really think it through from beginning to the end. But this is very important, especially me as a leader leading the whole fund. Like day-to-day is important, but also the long-term strategy vision uh, is even more important. And we need time for ourselves, every single of us. Absolutely.
0: What instrument do you play, by the way?
1: I play uh, drum set, piano, guitar. Uh, Depends on my mood. (laughs) Sometimes go with different music instruments based on uh, the past one week.
0: That's amazing. So you, you essentially, if you wanted to, you can record yourself playing each instrument, create your own band. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know they had a one-man band if you watch the uh, i think at sharon one time he was performing at a grammy i was there he was doing that one man yeah. band. you could record it and then uh, play another one and then essentially become a band all by yourself
0: <laughs> that's amazing yeah there's there's something to be said about music i personally want to try and get back to it. i used to be a pianist for a long time you know and i, I want to kind of get back to it at some point um okay a couple more questions for you um we, we all buy a lot of cool stuff from Amazon. What's what's something that you bought from Amazon recently? Like a cool gadget, it could be a book, it could be whatever you want. What's something cool that you got from Amazon recently?
1: Yes, I actually bought from Amazon a very interesting ice shave machine, shave ice, to make shave ice myself in the house days. Oh, Saturdays. nice.
0: What, yeah. what brand did you, What do you remember the brand?
1: I forgot a brand, but I also require some self-assembling. So, you know, I'm an engineer in my heart. So I like to buy this type of stuff, assembling itself. And it feels like I built something That's with instruction.
0: <laughs> with instruction. You know, it's funny you mentioned that um, because of a TikTok trend, there's a, a machine called the Ninja Creamy. It helps. You, it makes ice cream. It's sold out everywhere. But I have to find this thing <laughs> because I love ice cream. But I'm, for me, I'm very much into health and fitness. So ice cream is pretty unhealthy, but there is a guy on Instagram called uh, uh, the Flexible Diets. He creates all these delicious ice creams and desserts, wow. but they're all high protein, low carb because he uses like you know <laughs> eggs and whey protein, so like super healthy. And I I made one of them here at home, and I'm like I have to get this Ninja creamy. So Ninja, if you guys are listening, please send me one of your one of your devices. I will I will promo you for free. I just I need to get a hold of this. It's sold out everywhere. I can't I can't find it.
1: Oh, no. Now I want to get one of this ninja as well. I will become your competitor on the customer side. <laughs> I know. You,
0: seriously, you should get. You should get one. I'll send you all kinds of recipes. It's amazing. Um. All right. Thank last you. last question for you. As you can see, I'm I'm here in my library. I'm very big on reading. I think whether you want to be an entrepreneur, especially if you want to be an investor, you have to be good at reading. Um.
1: Exactly. It, could,
0: it doesn't have to be business related, but. What's a book that really had an influence on your life that you feel like you're always recommending? Is there a book that comes to mind that you recommend a lot to people?
1: I have a lot of books I always recommend to people. Actually, uh, I love reading as well. I totally agree with you. I read so many different types of books, but it's all come together with a really, uh, I would say, diverse uh, database. I could really train my brain. And I actually have published a book list every year. I select the top 10 books I recommend from other book i read for every single year and send it to my friends and also within my very close circle uh so uh, if you ask one book it's really hard to pick one book i will just quickly came came with a book like recently uh i really recommend to many people called the algorithm to live by it kind of go with the current trend it's not necessarily the book i would recommend the most but it's kind of interesting to read through that okay we understand algorithm uh The algorithm is a foundation of all this AI application. Then we use this very logical approach for technology, for for AI to make decisions for us. But if we also understand the fundamental of the algorithm and also use that approach to make decisions, for example, I came to a new city, there's a 20 restaurant, I only have three days, how could be the most efficient way to try out a restaurant in certain order and also have a higher chances to have the best food? Things like that. Very small example. That's the thing that the book is talked about, called Algorithm to Live Back.
0: Interesting. And I'm checking my Amazon list, but I'm almost certain that I have that book. But I, you know, so for me, I believe that, uh, yes, I do have it by, uh, let's see. It's by Brian Christian and Tom Griffiths. Yes, I have that. And I know exactly where it is. It's right. Yep, I see. It. It's right there. So now that you mentioned it, that's <laughs> a sign from the universe that I should read it. So for those who are listening, <laughs> my recommendation to a library is that the majority of the books in your library are not to be read. So I just buy the books as I go and I put them in my library. And then I always believe that when the right sign comes, I'll read it. So like I bought that book a few years ago, this was my sign that I have to read it. Fantastic. And um, Lou, last thing aside from the fusion, uh, dot com, wh- where else can people find you online?
1: Yeah. So, you know, especially for founder, you know, I'm, we're always open and welcome founder to contact us. And, uh, just the contact me on my LinkedIn. I reply to my LinkedIn messages and also love to give, get in touch with founder. Even you're now ready for fundraising. We actually wanted to talk to a good founder to give you feedback and help you to get started. Another thing is I told my team to do this office hour every quarter called Ask Ask Anything Office Hour. No pressure. You oh. don't need to come in too much. Yes. It's, uh, I love that. Just, uh, when, yes, when do, it's you do on our website. Yeah, it's on our website. Every quarter will have different team members. They just block one hour per week. Everyone could sign up for 10, 15 minutes, just to access anything. Don't worry, it won't, it won't con- be considered into uh, official pitching. It's just a way for us to share knowledge, answer any question founder may have, no matter from fundraising, from the working with VC, or just launch your own business technology trend. We want to contribute back to the community. So come to our website, contact me on the LinkedIn, and uh, sign up for our office hour if you have any questions.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, and I see it here. So for those who are interested, if you go to f- uh, FusionFund.com, click Community and go to Founders Hub. You scroll down, you'll see Founder slash VC Office Hours. Um, I love it. That's yeah. And look at that, you have one for uh, healthcare and then also for deep tech. And yeah, this is it's a calendly event. That's fantastic. You can, so people can literally just schedule that time with you guys. I love that.
1: Fantastic. You don't need to wait for a our, our reply. As long as you click it, that's a time open schedule. They will be on a calendar already.
0: You know, and I, you know what I like about that, Lou, is that that's a great way for you to give feedback to potential founders who are looking to get your investment. And you're kind of giving them almost like hints as to like, Here's what you guys need to do to actually get a check from us, develop that relationship. And then when they get in a better position where they're going to be getting traction, they're, they're hitting an inflection point, they come to you guys. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant way. And again, one other yeah. another thank reason why I wanted to have you on my show.
1: Thank <laughs> you very much. Thank you. I have such a pleasant time today. I really enjoyed our conversation and discussions. Thank you very much for having me today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you much, very much for my audience. This is another episode of the State of MedTech. Be sure to go check out. Fusion Fund at fusionfund.com. I'm Omar Armkazim and we'll see you all next time. Thank you for enjoying another epic episode of The State of MedTech. If you're feeling inspired and love this episode, do us a favor. Hit that subscribe button and turn notifications on so you never miss an episode. And be sure to give us five stars and write a short review because that helps more people discover this amazing community of ours. If you're a company who has an executive that you'd like to be on the show or perhaps you want to sponsor one of the episodes, shoot us an email at hello at khatibandco.com. Take care. See you next time.